around, round, get around, I get around, yeah, get around, round, round, I get around, I get around. You know, I've learned over my mechanical career to respect drive shafts a whole lot more than I did when I was a kid because they create some very unique issues. The car doctor. Well, I bought this really nice little 1986 Toyota small Winnebago Class C RV. Oh, yeah, those are neat. They're, they're, that's like the pickup truck with the little, you know, trailer thing on the back. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, they're cool. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. More information at cardoctorshow.com. And of course, we're out on Facebook. Look up Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. An email address if you need it is ron at cardoctorshow.com. A lot going on this hour. Down around the bottom of the hour, a little bit of a special treat that we're going to uh, bring back an interview from Uncle Steve. We've gone into the archives. We've found an archived interview of Uncle Steve. Obviously, we have to. Uncle Steve's no longer with us. Um, we thought this being Memorial Day, it would be an appropriate way to close out this hour of the car doctor. So we're going to start that down around the bottom of the hour. But right now, we've got a lot of calls backed up. So let me get right to them. Let's go over and talk to John in Maine, 14F150. Yes, John, how can I help, sir? Yes, hi. How are you doing? Good, sir. What's going thanks, on? Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, not, a, not a big problem. It's just uh, uh, I'm, I'm new to the... Uh, a turbocharged engine. Okay. And so I've, I did, did some internet search and YouTube and all that stuff. And I keep this uh, uh, catch can, oil catch can keeps coming up. They're worried about oil from the crankcase because of the boosted air going into the crankcase and driving oil back in through the intake. And it's got direct injection so that the, uh, the intake valves aren't washed with fuel anymore. Correct. Correct. I, is, is that something to worry about? I got well, the truck runs fine. You know, I got I got no problems with it. It's just I, I'm wondering are they just trying to sell something, or, or is this something to worry well, about? Well, the answer is yes and no. You know, I think everything in moderation, and I question everything. I'm just like you. I yeah. I still like the idea of the fact that I think I think the EcoBoost, the turbocharged motors are great. I think Ford's done a great job with them. They've come a long, long way from, you know, people say, well, look at the way turbocharging was back in the 70s and the 80s, what little we had. Yeah, you know yeah. what? It's 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 light years. It's just it's just like right oh, yeah. to the space shuttle. It's just the cars and the technology have gotten so much better and the aid of computers are so much cleaner. So, to that point, I think that any any turbocharged engine and the Fords are still right there. I think good regular oil change maintenance is very very important. Um, yep. Good good quality oil, good quality filter. I think that's common sense. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 issue with the intake valves on any gasoline direct injection engine is a problem, and yep. and part of the issue is we don't want carbon deposits to form, which is why it's so important to use correct oil. And we don't want carbon deposits stuck on the intake valves, which are kind of hard to get rid of because they do form. And believe it or not, correct oil goes a long way towards reducing the ability 
of the of of you know carbon deposits on top of the pistons and on top of the valves because it actually comes from the bottom. It pushes its way up from the crankcase up past the ring land. Eventually, the ring starts to get gummed up. It can't do the proper job of sealing. The deposits form on top of the pistons. The deposits form on top of the intake, and 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 now we've got a problem. So yeah. oil. Um, any of the products from Berryman and their fuel system cleaners, as far as GDI engines, take to heart. You can get out to okay. you can get out to BerrymanProducts.com and read their website and see what they right. have to offer. And it's it's one of the things I keep saying that there's a lot of fuel system cleaners out there. I really believe you're buying the engineering that goes into it. And yeah. you know, for my money, the last two years going on three, Berryman has really been the tip of the sword. They've got some great innovative ideas in terms of fuel system maintenance and cleaning. Um, and the website BerrymanProducts.com shows that. Um, yeah, okay. you know, there's 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 two EcoBoost engines in the Ananian family household as of now. Yeah. There's, there's three Ford vehicles. There's two EcoBoosts, and yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't have one if I didn't believe in it. Uh, right. Oh yeah. You know, oh, it's a nice truck. Yeah, it's oh, a nice truck. There, there. You know, and these are these are two escapes actually. You know, yeah. and we just do proper maintenance. And you know, I just think a little bit more. If enough is good, more is better, and too much is just enough is a great philosophy when it comes to taking care of the newer cars. And yeah, it it's, makes sense. it's you know, well, you know, I always you know I always wonder, John. We 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 seem to spend a great deal of time in this country worried about every last nickel we spend on an extra oil change or two. Yeah, but we still go to Starbucks and buy that seven dollar cup of whatever it is in the morning, and you know, it's only coffee. <laughs> I, d- I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I'd but, rather spend it on oil. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's only coffee. Um, right. You know, it's like coffee's yeah. coffee. It all wakes you up the same way. Uh, they yeah. won't, they won't give me coffee. They claim I'm too hyper now as it is. But uh, you, you you get my <laughs> points you, here. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, one. I just got one other complaint. Sure. The general complaint for Ford and the rest of this. I, I like to check oil levels. There's no dipstick for the transmission on this truck. It's, there's an aftermarket product, I see, but it uh, doesn't come with one. It's right. just, that's aggravating. Well, and I can tell you why. The thought yeah. process is they're worried about, and part of it's the blame of my industry, that there, there are guys in this industry that you know are incompetent, and there is. There's incompetence in this industry. Oh, yeah. Not a lot, but you know there's enough. But the bigger concern is the, the vehicle owner. They're worried yeah. about the vehicle owner pouring any type of trans fluid down that dipstick tube, and yeah. and and changing fl- and contaminating, and then they've got warranty issues. Oh yeah. Have you noticed? You know, if you think back over the last twenty years, maybe twenty five, right? I remember when transmission shops were thriving. Oh my <laughs> gosh, right? True. I mean, yeah. General Motors couldn't build a trans to last longer than thirty thousand miles back in the late eighties, early nineties. My God, yeah, thirty-two thousand miles! The planetary gear set fell out. It was horrible. Yeah. Look at look at where they are today: one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand miles on the average transmission with with, yeah, with normal yeah. care. So yeah. part of that is the fact that at least the manufacturer knows: hey, here's the fluid we're going to put in. We're going to make it so difficult that nobody can really add it unless they go out of their way and they want to. And, yep, and you know, it's, it's a sealed unit. It's sealed for life. You know, yep. most people tend to get rid of a car, and, you know, 80, 90, 100,000 miles. Some keep them to a buck yep. and a half. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's, they've got the numbers all figured out and crunched, John, down to, the, down to the nth degree where they're going to get rid of it and make it go away. And, oh, yeah. and I agree. I tend, with, I tend to run stuff till I can drive it right to the junkyard. Well, you know, I tend to run stuff till I tow it to the junkyard. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, but I agree with you. A dipstick is nice because you know who ultimately pays for it? 
You do. Yeah. Because it, oh, sure. it, it takes me an extra 40. You know, I had to do a trans service on a Toyota this week. It was a, or a Lexus, same thing, an overpriced Toyota. It was yeah. a, it was an 06 <laughs> Lexus LX470, which is their luxury version of the Toyota Land Rover, Land Cruiser thing, whatever the heck it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's similar to the Ford setup where here's the drain, here's the fill. Everything's done from underneath. You have to yep. do it at specific temperature. So you've got your, you've got your scan tool hooked up looking at trans temp. You've got the vehicle run. You're counting drops. You know, is that? Yeah. Let me see. Is that three drops per second, or was that five drops yeah, per second? Oh, it's got to be three drops per second. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's you know, it, it takes you a half hour, forty five minutes to get the vehicle up to temp, get your drops counted properly, and you're like, who's paying for this? The consumer. Um, sure. But you know, by the same token, how often does it need to be done? And that's. You know, right. I, I say that to people all the time. Look at how often we used to change spark plugs in cars twenty years ago. Oh, yeah. 100,000 miles now. Huh? 100, 120, till it starts yeah. to misfire. I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a Chevy van coming in this week that he's a new customer, and it's, it, we started working on the truck at 160, and I know I had the conversation with Joe about, Joe, you know, you ever put spark plugs in this? Because he was talking about maintenance. He says, yeah, I think so. Well, two years later, now it's starting to misfire. Now it's got 189 on it. Joe, you ever yeah. put spark plugs in this? You know, I don't think I ever did. 190,000 miles with original plugs in a 15-year-old vehicle. That's insane. Uh, you know, that's insane. And yet, so, you know, it, it has, the, has the cost of vehicle maintenance really gone up? Not really, because you look at how often you're not doing it and how much further you go. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, so it's, uh, but you know what? It's a grand time to be alive and fixing cars because there's really some great stuff out there and technology's oh, yeah. really taken us a long way. So, it is. Um, well, thank you. You're very welcome, sir. You enjoy your truck. Thank you. You yeah, take good care. Good, great show. You, thank you, sir. Glad to be here for you. 855 560 Ron and Andy, the car doctor, coming back right at this. What's more fun than listening to Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor and getting that car fixed right? 855-560-9900. Give Ron a call. Now, back to Ron. Hey, let's get over to David in Iowa. David, welcome back, sir. How are you today? That's fine, Ron. How are you doing? Uh, good, man. What's cooking? I've got to uh, tell you, I appreciate you being on the air. I mean, it's one of the most wonderful programs I've heard for people out here with car problems. You know, I, I called you uh, last week, and I was asking you about the Ten Commandments of, uh, you know, what a person should uh, uh, have a little card in their pocket, you know, if, if they are confused about what questions to ask their mechanic. Okay. You know, sure. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and also, you know, just suggestions, you know, maybe uh, wanting the parts, not trying to uh, uh, undermine the uh, mechanic, you know, but... Uh, just serious questions that uh, people would kind of get tongue-tied when they're talking to a mechanic because they're talking a different language, you know? So, I but, think, uh, well, anyway, you, I thought, go ahead, go ahead right? finish your thought. Finish your thought, babe. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, I wanted to also tell you that we've got a, a school out here that are teaching 14, 15-year-old kids. They're actually building cars, putting their motors in them, you know, and then trying to uh, get the mileage and the fuel together. And, uh, they were on the radio the other day, and I thought that might be something you might want to know, is that they're out here working on these young kids, trying to get them uh, 
uh, you know, to probably be engineers eventually, you know. And, uh, you know what, David, before you disappear today, I'm going to leave the phone back to Tom. Would you give him the information about that school? Maybe we could talk to somebody out there. It sounds like an interesting interview to talk to someone about up and coming, what they're doing to get kids interested in cars, because oh, obviously that's, that's, that, that, that's the future. Um, Ten Commandments of Auto Repair. I think, I, I think for someone to walk into a repair shop, all right, I'm going to look at it from my side of the counter. One of the things that annoys me the most is I don't get honesty. I just want to know what's, I just, I just want the real deal. What are you looking for? You know, the first question, one of the, one of the first questions I always ask somebody when they bring me a car, they say, my check engine light's on, and I've never seen them before. One of the first questions I always ask is, has anybody worked on the car? And nine times out of ten, the answer I get is no. And then as we get into the repair, you find out, well, but, you know, my father tried to fix it. And then I took it down to Bob's Garage. No insult to any of the Bob's Garages out there. And, you know, this guy tried to fix it, and that guy tried to fix it. And you know what? Most mechanics aren't stupid. We lift the hood. We see, it, we see a parts explosion under the hood. Everything's so shiny you need sunglasses. You go, yeah, somebody was here before. It's not hard to figure out. You don't have to be Columbo. And it's annoying because now you're dealing with somebody that's not being honest with you. And it becomes, it becomes a detriment to the repair process. So honesty right. counts, okay? I think, right. for the, I think for the consumer, when the mechanic says, because we're going to look at honesty from both sides of the desk, right? For the consumer... Right. When the mechanic says you need to have the brakes replaced, the consumer has to apply some logic. All right? How many miles are on the car? 25,000. Really? 25,000 miles needs brakes? The average car, in most situations, depending upon operating environment, brakes start to come into the mix 35, 40,000 miles. There's usually some warning signs. There's usually some sort of an indication, a squeal, a noise, a feel. The brakes don't stop as well as they could. So it's really, Doug, the, 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 the brakes need to be fixed. Uh, you know, can you, can, you, can you show me and see if they'll take you into the shop or at least, you know, give you the measurement and understand what that's about. And if you have any doubt, I think the consumer has to be willing to take it to another shop for a second opinion. Listen, I'm very much in favor of I would much rather work for somebody on a repetitive basis than that first-time person because the first-time person is fishing, all right? They're, they're looking for something that in a lot of cases they're either not quite sure what they're looking for or they're just trying to save a buck and consume somebody's time, and they just, they're never going to be happy. It's like dating, <laughs> all right? You know, it's like, it's, it's like if you're out there dating, you've got to know what you're looking for, and if you're after one thing, that's all you're going to get. Um, but you're never going to be happy. It's just it's it's self-fulfilling. So I think honesty from the mechanic, honesty from the consumer, it goes both ways. I think the consumer is entitled to an explanation of why. So we've got honesty and why. Why does it need this part? And then, you know, is it as a result of the way the person was operating the vehicle? Or is it a result of somebody else did a repair that created that scenario that created the why? the need for that repair was the re was an improper repair done two years prior and it took two years of operation for it to wear down and create that problem in another issue so why is always a good commandment to follow all right i think also what what are we doing and is there a better way to do it is there a better grade of part 
You know, I always say that if you're buying a battery, buy as much battery as your budget allows. You'd be surprised, and I believe it to still be true to this day, that spending an extra 20 or $25 can buy you a battery in a lot of situations that's got 15 or 20% more cold cranking amps. And, you know, more is better. So we've got honesty, we've got why, and we've got what. And I think I'm going to leave it there. Those are the first three commandments we'll put down on the tablet, and we'll talk about it some more next week. How's that? Hey, thank you so much. You have a wonderful weekend. You're very welcome, sir. You take good care. Um, That's a good way to leave that. I think that's a good spot to leave it in. Coming up next, this is is a little tribute, and this is a Memorial Day weekend, and we wanted to do this for you. And I realize, and I ask your indulgence, and I really appreciate the fact that you guys in the past have always let me step out of character of the guy that fixes cars to have Uncle Steve on. Uncle Steve was my father's brother. And, you know, I remember Uncle Steve from a very little kid, and I didn't really understand who he was until I got older, you know. And, and then as I got older, you, you get to be 8, 9, 10, you heard the stories. He wasn't just that guy that, you know, took his finger off at the family reunions. Uncle Steve had that trick, you know, where you put the ring up against your finger and he could, you know, take the end of his finger off. He said it got bit off by a lion. We heard it all. He got bit off by a lion while he was in safari in Africa. It got pulled off when he was a wrestler. It got bit off when he was a cop. And the, and, and the, and the burglar, you know, chewed his end of his finger off and he could take it off by magic. And he had that magic ring that he would put up against his thumb and take his finger off. But we could never pull it off ourselves. That was Uncle Steve. You know, the older he got and the older I got, I looked upon him as he was always going 500 miles an hour downhill with his hair on fire. He was just uh, he was just a bad he was a, he was a he was a tough guy. He 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 knew what it was and he personified that generation. Um he was my introduction into the greatest generation. He didn't win the war single-handedly and I don't claim that, but um he was he was a good exposure and he was a good mold to follow. Um, Coming up after we get back from the break is an interview of Uncle Steve. This date, six years ago, 2013 actually, um, uh, the first time when we were self-syndicated and Uncle Steve talking about his combat experience and uh, the ideas of maintenance. And I just remember it was a great, great interview. So we're going to pull over, take the pause. And when we come back, all right, one more time, Uncle Steve and Annie and 1st Lieutenant 339th Fighter Group found me over England. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to The Car Doctor. Ron and Anian here. You know, this next segment really doesn't have a lot to do with cars. It's Memorial Day weekend, and when we can, as we're allowed, we try to sneak out and talk to Uncle Steve. Stephen and Anian, he's my uncle. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to him. I don't get to talk to him as much during the course of the year, so this is a uh, different kind of a long-distance phone call. And it's always fun to have Uncle Steve here, 91 years young, as we uh, talk to him about Memorial Day, World War II. And um, things maybe not so car-related. Uncle Steve, welcome back. Welcome to the car, doctor, sir. We love you. How you doing? All right. Love you, too. Um, here we are, it's Memorial Day. 90, not 91. Is it? Well, you know, blame that on Mom. Mom says 91. So. Well, it's, I'm 90 and a half, actually, now. Is, is, is that what it is? 
Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. At 90 and a half or 91, if they uh, called you up and you could fit in the plane, would you go? Oh, sure. I flew in an AT-6 last year. <laughs> uh, were you flying or just taking the ride? Well, I was uh, sitting in the back seat, and no. I flew it for a while. Yeah. Don't tell anybody, right? Well, no. I had a destructor in front, so it's okay. You were okay. It was legal. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, 90 and a half or not, you were 19 when you enlisted when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And um, you, you knew what you had to do, and we've talked about it here on the show. And, you know, we've talked about some of the other things with regards to the story that you had written, uh, Ramrod to Munster. Can you, can you just uh, hit the high points for the listeners real quick? Well, that was my first mission, and uh, we were escorting the bombers to Munster, and uh, escorting bombers is called a ramrod mission. So uh, on the way, uh, I was flying over Holland, on the, over Heligoland, actually, and uh, that's the uh, German uh, West Point for anti-aircraft gunners. And I got hit by one anti-aircraft uh, gun, and I was hitting the supercharger of the aircraft. And I uh, 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 flew my airplane losing airplane, uh, losing oil for about 45 minutes until I finally had a bailout over the North Sea. And at that time, there was gale warnings over the North Sea with 75-mile winds and 10-foot uh, uh, waves. And so, uh, but I uh, bailed out and uh, was in the water for an hour and a half, and I was rescued by a a British air sea rescue flying boat, and uh, uh, I got back naturally, and uh, I flew 63 missions after that. Did you did you hesitate going up the second time, Uncle Steve? From what I from what I remember, they they offered you a couple of days off leave up in London, and you said, "Heck no, I want to go." That's right. I uh, I I, want, I went the very next mission that they flew. So uh, uh, no, I. Uh, I I I I was afraid when I flew, but the fear my fear was not of getting killed, but I was afraid I'd screw up. I mean that's this is what every pilot did. I mean uh, you 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 had to respect what the enemy had to offer, but uh, we knew we were better than them, so there was no big. Uh, aggravation on that part. When, when we were, we we had men who were uh, on leave on D Day, and they rushed back to fly uh, one of them. Three, we flew three missions on D Day, and these men who were on leave in London rushed back and got back and flew the last mission of the day. Just so, just I to mean, be able to uh, do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when you were up in the air and you you saw oil pressures dropping, and you were at I forget the number, 25,000 feet, 30,000 feet. How did you happen to have the, 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 the clarity of mind to rock the plane to splash oil up on the engine as it was losing oil pressure? I mean, what just what came over you? Well, uh, this, uh, once, once you, I was hit, I mean, uh, I, I wasn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, disoriented or anything. I, I knew what was happening. I knew that I was losing... I was trying to figure out what was wrong, and uh, I figured I was hit by in a supercharger, which meant that 
at lower altitudes, I might have enough uh, power to maintain flight, which I did. When I got down to 7,000 feet, my, air, uh, my aircraft had enough power to uh, sustain flight, always, but I was losing uh, oil, and in order to cool the engine, I figured there's uh, all that uh, oil is in the stump of the engine, you know, so I just sh shook the uh, plane violently to splash the oil from the stump up on the cylinder walls. The the ME-262, Uncle Steve, uh, one of the German yeah, jets. Yeah, the German jet. Yeah, you were you were you you shot down a German jet in combat, and that was that was really unprecedented then in terms of you know the differences between the planes. The ME-262 was obviously faster, but you figured it out. I mean, how did you take you know, what mechanical advantage do you think the P-51 had over the 262 that enabled you to do that? Or, you know, well, are, are you well, going to sit here and tell me it was just a lucky shot? Uh, the thing is, Ron, that both the P-51 and the ME-62 were limited to the top speed by the speed of sound. We had not broken the sound barrier at that time. So uh, they, the top, fastest they could fly was about 600 miles an hour, which is the fastest that we could if we could, but we didn't have the power. The P-51 uh, flew 475 miles an hour, top speed, straight and level. And so in a dive, we could fly 575 miles an hour. In fact, the, the aircraft was a red line not to fire the guns at that speed. So uh, even though they had a speed advantage, we had a maneuverability advantage. The, P-51 was a highly maneuverable aircraft, and we could outmaneuver the P-52, uh, the ME-262. So that was our advantage over them. The the time you were shot down over Stuttgart, can you talk about that real quick? I mean, what was what was well, going I, through your I, mind? There was a, a tank battle battle going on at the ground, and we were uh, supporting our ground tanks. And uh, I was hit by an uh, American tank, I think, and, uh, my, uh, and the carburetor, and I lost power, and it crash-landed in a deserted field. And uh, there were German uh, Wehrmacht on the other side of the field, and I hit, ran off into the woods uh, after I set my airplane on fire, and uh, I shot a fire flare into the cockpit, and I ran off into the woods, and I heard, uh, hid behind uh, some bushes, and uh, I was able to evade capture. And I, uh, I woke up. I, actually, I, I fell asleep in the uh, shrubbery, and I woke up when it was dark. And uh, I walked in the dark toward the American uh, lines, and I was able to evade capture. You know, Stuttgart isn't exactly around the corner from American Lines, Uncle Steve. I mean, it, it had to be 100 miles, no? Well, I, I don't exactly recall the, the distance, but yeah, it, was, it took me three, day, three nights. And, and you hit out by day and traveled at night? But, yeah, I, I woke up one morning in, uh, uh, in a field that I was sleeping in, and I could hear some uh, uh, French being spoken, and I stood up, and there was a a French farmer talking uh, talking to a uh, American soldier, and I raised my hands and I said, uh, "Just vis American," and uh, 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 I was uh, taken to 
uh, uh, Paris, which was headquarters at the time, uh, and uh, I was interrogated uh, because at that time there were German, uh, uh, American speak English speaking Germans that were posing as American soldiers, and uh, their 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 uh, job was to uh, try to assassinate uh, Gen uh, Dwight Eisenhower, who was the general at the time. Right. Right. Uncle Steve, stay put. We're going to put you into a second segment, if that's all right. I know we, I know we promised you only one, but we've got to hold you over. It's, uh, it's just too much fun talking to you, and it's just too interesting. Um, stay where you are. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor here with Uncle Steve Anini and Steve Anini and First Lieutenant Steve Anini and 339th Fighter Group the 505 Fighter Group, the 8th Air Force, World War II. As we always, we try to get a hold of Uncle Steve on Memorial Day and talk to him about um, some of the things that happened during the course of the war. Not really automotive mechanical related, but just uh, just a fun time. Uncle Steve, how are you? You're, you're still there, sir. I'm still here. Uh, you know, I can't imagine walking three days home from Stuttgart, Germany at night, but I, I guess that was the time, right? You did what you had to do to survive. Oh, yeah, sure. And it, it just never became... Well, look, we were young kids. I mean, 19-year-old, uh, walking is not that difficult. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. Although, you know, you say it now like it's so nonchalant, but back then to walk out of Stuttgart, Germany, um, back to French lines is no, is no simple task. The, um, oh. the, 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 the final flight, and I, and I love this story when you tell it, if I remember it correctly, VE Day, and everybody was grounded, but... You still went up, didn't you? Yes. And, and well, we, we, when you said everybody was grounded, we, we were able to fly uh, training missions and so forth over England itself. But you were just you just wanted to go for one last ride in that plane before they sent you home. That's true. And and do you do you remember anything specifically about it? Oh yeah. Well, uh, I I was scheduled to leave uh, the base about uh, twelve o'clock noon to catch a, a fly up to uh, Scotland to catch a boat back for the United States. And uh, so I got up about 6 o'clock in the morning, and after, well, we all woke up that early, and uh, I spoke to the commanding officer, my squadron commander, and I said, Sir, I'd like to take the airplane up one last time uh, with your permission. And he said, Sure, go ahead. He said, But, just don't fool around. He says, I don't want any uh, problems, you know. And my wingman, uh, Tom Marvel, uh, he said, I'd like to fly with him. So we both took off and we flew. Uh, I had never flown over Paris, France, because Paris was an open city. So we fl I flew to France, and uh, when I got over Paris, I flew along the Champs-Élysées with my uh, wingman flying my wing about 50 feet off the ground, and all the people were waving at us, and we were just smiling and laughing. And, uh, and then we uh, turned. At the end of the Champs-Élysées is the uh, Palais de Chaillot, and I made a left turn, and there's the Eiffel Tower. We headed towards the Eiffel Tower, buzzed that, and then flew back to London. Now, during the war, uh, you couldn't fly over London because of the barrage balloons, but... On VE Day, the barrage balloons were down, so we flew over Trafalgar Square, uh, very low, and spiraled upward over uh, Lord Nelson's statue 
and climbed up to 20,000 feet and came back. And we came back and landed when we landed. My commanding officer's uh, jeep came rush, roaring up to my airplane, and he jumped out. And he says, what the hell have you been doing? I said, what's the matter, sir? He says, the phone's been ringing off the hook about these red and white uh, checkered-nosed uh, uh, P-47s buzzing all over France and England. And I said, that wasn't us. I said, we fly P-51. He says, baloney. He said, you, can, uh, you know that no, those civilians don't know a P-51 from a P-47. Yeah, but still said, you... you climb into this I-86 and you're going to Scotland. So yeah. that was it. And that was it. Hey, real quick, Uncle Steve. Um, uh, you know, you named the plane Baby Mine. 30 seconds or less. How'd you come up with that name? Uh, Walt Disney's motion picture. Uh, no, 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 uh, no. I don't want that uh, version. Had Dumbo in it, and he, and that picture, that, that was the famous song, and I, that song used to go run through my head when I was flying. Yeah, but wait a minute, Uncle I, Steve. That's the, that's the family version. Wasn't there a story about when the girls in the bars in London would ask you, did you name your plane after me, and what did you tell them? Uh, that's right. I say I named it after you, baby. And they'd look at me and say, "Oh, come on, I yank." And I take out a picture of my airplane, and they they believed it. And it said it was baby mine. Uncle yeah. St Uncle Steve, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in June. And um, we've got to go right now. I really want to say thanks for taking the time, and um, it's just a whole lot of fun to talk to you. I love oh, you. Can I say one thing? Sure. I just want to thank all these people in the service for. Uh, protecting us and giving us the freedom that we judge. And we're, uh, we're, our prayers are with all these people. Thank you. Thank you, Uncle Steve. We'll see you soon. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Uh, again, thanks for letting us play that. We hope you enjoyed it. That was uh, Stephen Anenian, First Lieutenant Stephen Anenian, from the same date, 2013, talking about his observations of Memorial Day and his time in the war. Y you know, the backside of the baby mind story I was just telling Tom and Mike is, um, when we were kids, that's what he told us the name was, you know, about baby mind related to the Dumbo the Elephant movie and da-da-da-da-da-da. One day, Aunt Isabel, he married Isabel, was uh, walking behind him, and he, she heard him telling that story. She walked up, smacked him in the back of the head and said, they're old enough, tell them the real story. She knew when he came home. She knew what was going on over there, but uh, that was Uncle Steve. He also said to me at one point, he said, two out of every three pilots in the 339th fighter group were killed in action or missing or unaccounted for, and that's the price of freedom, and that's what I remember this Memorial Day. I'm Ron and Amy in the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Everyone.